This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am once again excited to be joined. It's became an annual tradition. Mr. Mark Schofield. Mark, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Paul, it is great to be back here. Uh, I love coming on. I such huge fans of what you and Matt do. I mean, the, the stuff you guys do. I can't let me just say quickly. Um, I've got a Slack channel for the listeners to my podcast, and I'm almost getting sick and tired of you and Matt because <laughs> the listeners are in there talking about you guys all the time. How much they love your show. How much they love you guys. It's like, what about me? What about me? But no, man, everybody loves you. Um, Everybody loves you guys. You guys do such great work. I love coming on with you guys every year. It's a blast. I look forward to the show, and I'm just happy to be back, buddy. Absolutely, and we love the work you do, breaking down the quarterbacks. It's always getting your take, you know, your specialization, and it it really – it makes us see things that maybe we miss and and we learn from each other, and that's really the whole point of of having so many great guests on is to learn different things, to to hear different perspectives, you know, because everybody's seen these guys, and I can't remember a year that's ever been a – more interesting, unique year to try to evaluate and analyze these players who hasn't played for basically a year, who played one game in terms of one quarterback we'll be talking about tonight. You know, this, this is so much to break down. So, so let's get right back in. Let's get right into it. And, and let's start at overview. Is this class as special in your eyes as I think it is? Because we did our tier uh, buster shows on the quarterbacks probably about four or five weeks ago. And I started that show by saying, this collection of the top four guys in terms of upside and intrigue and high level and talent, I can't remember another class that I was more excited for since I've been doing Saturday to Sunday. I know we had the year where we had Baker and we had Josh Allen and, you know, Josh Rose and that group of guys. But I think this group, we're talking about higher level and talent and more upside than some of those guys had in the in the Mayfield Darnold that year. Do you see it the same way or do you see it a little bit different? No, Paul, I see it the same way. I look at four, and if you want to be bold and say five and slide Mac Jones in there, I'm okay with that too. I mean, I sort of tier them four, one, and then beyond. Um, but if you want to say that Mac Jones is in that group of five, I'm fine with that too because I think he's going to go early enough in this draft. I think – the upside with especially the first four is off the charts. I mean, you probably saw before we hopped on, Justin Fields tweeted out a video of him running the hand time 4-4-1 today. Like if he comes in and he's saying he's going to run in the four threes, if he runs 4-3-8 in his pro day, man, I just don't know how you pass on that kid. (laughs) Um, But Lawrence can be special. Fields can be special. Lance, I know he's got, you know, a a season in a game and he's young, but – you look at the talent, the athleticism, the easy arm talent. And Zach Wilson has so many people excited. And when you watch him, you understand why so many people are excited about him because of the, the off-platform throws, the outside-the-pocket throws, the off-structure ability, the ability to drop the arm angle. You know, you can definitely tell that he's somebody that, you know, when he gets a chance to just sit down and watch football and study a quarterback, he's studying Patrick Mahomes because he's modeled his game after him. And so, no, it's a fantastic group at the top. I actually – you know, I, I think 
you know, and, and there's always sort of controversy and people, you know, strife and Twitter arguments about how you stack these guys. This is one of those years where give me, you know, the first four names, put them in whatever you order you want. Like they're, they're all very good. If you're going to come here and tell me that, you know, Trey Lance is your QB one. Fine. If you're going to tell me that Zach Wilson is your, your QB one, like, okay. Like I can see an argument for any of these guys. I have my own rankings, but they're all ex- exceptional talents at this position. And it's made for a really fun draft cycle of sort of studying quarterbacks, thinking about how, the way this game is trending and all of the possibilities that will play out over the course of the draft. Yeah. I mean, it's just, they're so unique in, in, in so many different ways. And they, they all have their certain style that makes them interesting and unique. Let's start at the top where most people have Trevor Lawrence. I wasn't doing Saturday to Sunday when Andrew Luck came around, but that's what you hear out there in terms of the level of, of prospect. I know when I watch him, it's really hard to find many flaws in his game. You know, maybe you want to nitpick some stuff, and I'm interested to hear if there's anything that you saw on film. You know, some some moments where maybe under pressure he can handle it a little bit better. Not that he can't move around and do things in playoff structure, but I think sometimes maybe there were some poor decisions under pressure, which is common for many young quarterbacks. But you know, he's got the size, he's got the arm talent, he's got the athleticism. I think people don't. You know, we just talk about Justin Fields, and I'm really excited to talk about him with you in, in a few minutes, but. Trevor Lawrence, I don't think people realize just how athletic and fast he is, that what you're going to do. And and if he's headed towards Jacksonville and all intents and purposes, I don't see that not happening. And Urban Meyer is going to bring his spread style offense. You know the RPOs are going to be a part of it. You know Trevor Lawrence is going to be doing some running. And potentially early in his career might be the time when he runs the most, right? They're still learning the game. As he gets more comfortable, they're probably not going to want to expose him too much. But what do you – what is it about his game, if if anything, leaves you a little bit cause for concern? Is there anything that you can say, okay, if I'm going to try to find one or two things that I think he's got to develop, work on, nitpick about, is there anything about that? And for you, since you've been studying this, is he your highest guy? I mean, I don't know if you do straight grades or just overall, is there, has there been another quarterback since you've been doing this that's impressed you more heading into the draft? No, no, there's not. And, you know, my first cycle of doing this sort of professionally or whatever the heck you want to call what I do, if you <laughs> want to say it's professional, then fine, uh, was the uh, Mariota uh, Jameis draft. Um, and since then, Lawrence is the guy that I've had graded the highest. Um, and, you know, in terms of things that he could improve at, there are some intermediate level throws where I think the placement could be better and more consistent. There are sometimes certainly – um, whether he's being pressured or he perceives pressure, when the decision-making is quicker than it needs to be and perhaps flawed in those moments. An example uh, from the Ohio State game this past season where you know it's clearly a zone coverage pre-snap, but he feels like there might be some pressure, um, so he really speeds up his process and like forces a throw on the running back wheel on a mesh co- sit concept when he really should be like working through his reads there basically forces the running back wheel like into coverage. There's a flat defender just waiting for it. And, and so, yeah, there are moments like that where if you want to sort of find things wrong with him, there are things you can find. Like he's not bad in a thousand on a game, but no quarterback does. I mean, 
you go through some of the greatest quarterback games ever played, you will find mistakes. I mean, it's rare that a quarterback does everything right, hits on every read, gets through every progression, you know, nails every concept. And so, yes, there are things that he can improve upon from a game-to-game and season-to-season basis. But I think that he's as clean as it gets. And the other beauty of Trevor Lawrence, and it goes, Paul, to sort of your point about Urban Meyer and the offense and the athleticism, is the schematic diversity. Like, if you look at, say, a Trey Lance, if you look at a Mac Jones, if you look at some of the other guys in this class, like, you want to get them in the right system. Like, could they function in other offenses? Yeah, but you really want to get them in the right environment. Lawrence is so schematically diverse. You could drop him in a vertical-based passing offense. He's going to be fine. He's got the arm for that. You could drop him in sort of a West Coast offense. He could run a West Coast system. Like, it's not going to be a problem. I think one of the more illustrative points I've heard about Lawrence over the past year uh, Matt Waldman and I did a show on Lawrence, and he basically said, you could take Trevor Lawrence, drop him into Baltimore's offense, and he's so good as a runner and a ball carrier that he could run what the Ravens do with with Lamar Jackson, and it's entirely true. I, I think – and if you're listening to this show and you're maybe not sure about Lawrence, rewatch this year's Ohio State game because even in a game they lost, you will see him battling. You will see him – you know, making some great throws when this game's over and he's still fighting. You will see some great runs from him. He had one of the best seven-yard gains I've seen from a quarterback on a designed run with vision, with a change of direction, with cuts, with setting up blocks. He's as clean as it gets. I think you could drop him in any environment, he'll be fine. And so the the sort of smoke about Zach Wilson at one or somebody else at one, I think it's just that. It's just smoke. I think Trevor Lawrence is as clean as it gets. I think Urban Meyer is going to do wonders with him, and I think it's an easy pick. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Urban Meyer came to the NFL because he, because it was the first pick. I think he didn't want, you know, like I always, you know, this the analogy was like, you know, way back when, I think it was Rick Pitino was, was, took the job thinking Tim Duncan was going to end up, you know, I think the Celtics, if I'm remembering correctly, and I think – don't you know, remind me, Paul. <laughs> I, don't, I, remember, I remember there was a day before that draft when um, Popovich got into an ESPN message board chat after the Celtics had lost that lottery pick. And I asked him point blank, what would it take for the Celtics to get the number one overall pick back from you so we can draft Duncan? And he, he actually responded, he's like, it would take a miracle. And I'm like, <laughs> Since that moment, I've been burned by that, my friend. So, yeah. Yeah, I, and then it led to, of course, the Patino, Larry Bird's not walking through the door moment. Um, yeah, I know exactly where you're going, but no, you're right. Urban came out because he's like, I get to coach that kid. Yeah, you know, listen, people take jobs in the NFL and they never solve the quarterback situation. It's always lingering. And you walk in, and listen, we've been talking here at Saturday Sunday about Trevor Lawrence since his high school film, and everyone has been analyzing everything Trevor Lawrence has done since then. So people want to try to find things to talk negatively, right? It's just it's just the human nature, right? He's been in he's been in the forefront for so long. It just makes sense that people are trying, but he's the cleanest prospect we We've talked about here in terms of the quarterback position since Saturday Sunday started. And on that note, Matt Caraccio joining us, p- jumping in here. Matt, I know Trevor Lawrence is a guy that you've been watching since high school and love his film. We were just talking about him. There's not a lot of holes in this game. You can find some things like handling pressure and some other small things to nitpick. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence, slam dunk, right? Should be the first pick in the draft. No questions asked. 
No, I, I mean, listen, I mean, I, I think everything that Mark just was, was talking about was 100% right on. I think that's what makes him such an intriguing talent. Although, I, I mean, I know you guys are going to get there soon, but I do think that there is another player that everybody seems to be sandbagging on a little bit just because his traits aren't as clean and maybe it's not, you know, a perfect situation and maybe there's development still left. But, I mean, I, I still think that that class, that class that was Trevor Lawrence, the class that included – other quarterbacks that really are still in college, like JT Daniels, who will be playing for Georgia, guys like Matt Corral, who's going to be playing at Ole Miss. I mean, that was a hell of a quarterback class. I don't think I've ever really seen one coming up at a high school that that was that impressive. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we talked about, Paul, and, and this is the same thing that I think Mark was alluding to. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has been the guy since he's been in high school. So this idea that, you know, the stage is too big or what's going to happen or any type of, you know, a wallflower wilting willow type of situation or narrative is just absolute bogus. This guy is going to be able to play at the next level. He's been training for this his whole life. And I love Mark's comment about his athleticism. That was absolutely there since high school. He is deceptively, deceptively quick, agile and elusive in the open field. And, And we saw that in college. And I'm really just excited to see him take the next step. Yeah, absolutely. So let's transition this to Matt. Right before you jumped on with us, we were talking that uh, Justin Fields reportedly could potentially run a four four forty time. There was there's oh, something really. Yeah, it's a hand he, time. Really? That, he that, tweeted that, out a video today, just in the past like hour, of him on a hand timed four four one, and he says he's going to get into the four threes by his pro day. I, I, mean, I don't. I don't buy that. I think he's a. I think he's. I honestly think he's a four or five quarterback. But that's insanely fast for a quarterback if it's a yeah. four or five. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so let's 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 go into him because here I'm really interested, Mark, to hear your take on Justin Fields because be nice, Mark. Be nice. <laughs> because don't Matt and I here, <laughs> Matt and I here, haven't came off of of Justin Fields as our number two guy, and I know Zach Wilson has been, you know. He's been the guy that everyone's talking about this year. And I just feel like Justin Fields is continually going under the radar a little bit. And people really are trying to find the flaws in him. We were talking about people trying to find flaws in Trevor Lawrence. I think people seem to really be going out of their way to try to find some flaws in Justin Fields' game. And we admit there's development to go. Like he, the scheme at Ohio State, a little bit easy. Like he's got to show that he can go through and work through progressions more consistently and see more consistency. But every time I watch him play, and especially in the big moments and that Clemson game that you brought up before when, when Trevor Lawrence was on the losing side of it, I watch that game and that game sits in my memory the same way that Deshaun Watson games against Alabama did in the national title. And I watch those games and I'm like, okay, I know the the quarterback gurus who watch every single snap of him are going to find certain things that he's got to work on. But at the same time, that was what that was the same narrative about Deshaun Watson, right? He couldn't do this. He had to work on this. And then you just watch him play and he just found ways to be a winner at Clemson and make big plays. And that's kind of the same vibe I get about Justin Fields. I think he's going to figure it out. I think he's going to, the areas that he's got to develop, he's going to develop. I think now we already knew he was athletic. I think he's more advanced than Lamar Jackson was as a thrower coming out. And I don't personally think it's particularly close. So I'm really intrigued to hear another person's perspective on this because Matt and I have been very much, we love Justin Fields 
for most of the year, I was saying I think Justin Fields is closer to Trevor Lawrence than anybody is to Justin Fields. That's not the majority takeout there. Far from it right now. Where do you stand on Justin Fields? And and in terms of your pecking order, where does he sit? I, I think if you're an NFL organization, you pass on Justin Fields at your peril. Um, Justin Fields for me is quarterback too, and I'm I'm right there with you guys. He's much closer to to Trevor Lawrence, I think, than the Fields is to than the field is to Justin Fields. Um, that's where I am on it. Um, the, a lot of the concerns that are out there now about Fields from the processing standpoint, the progression standpoint, the reads, the mental side of it, I think those were fair criticisms last summer. Last summer. Um, I, I did a video. You can find it on my YouTube channel. I, I, there's a link to it on USA Today's Touchdown Wire where I walk you through. It's like 15 minutes or so. The first Clemson game and the second Clemson game. The first Clemson game, you have examples of him getting to the right answer on a given play, but getting there late. And the sort of analogy that I used, it's like this playing quarterback, it's a test, but it's not a take-home test. It's not an eight-hour exam. It's not a 24-hour open book test where you can teach yourself the course material and the time it takes you that you have to take the test. It's The clock is ticking. You've got to get to the right answer quickly. In that first Clemson game, he would get to the right answer, but he'd either throw in a reception because it was late or he'd miss a chance for a touchdown because it was late. Then you watch that second Clemson game. He's getting through reads. He's working through reads. One, two, three. They're running mesh pivot. He's checking the wheel. He's checking the first pivot return. He's throwing the dig over it. Like He's working through reads. All this stuff that people are saying about him that he can't do, he's doing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is anytime you make the case affirmatively for Justin Fields, the next two words you hear are Indiana Northwestern. That's what everybody comes back with. Everybody comes back with those two games. Well, I did a video on the Indiana game. He threw three interceptions in that game. I think one of them is a classic example of Fields um, sort of looking at a situation. And, and Matt, you talk so well about sort of problem solving. There are times when Fields looks at the problems posed to him by a defense and just thinks, my arm's going to get me out of this. The first interception, he's, it's dagger concept, inside seam, outside dig. He should throw the dig. He throws the seam. He thinks he can squeeze it in there. Free safety jumps it. The other two interceptions, he's just doing hero ball stuff. Like, just eat it. Like, take the sack. But even in that game, you see him running their shallow concept, which is a three-receiver progression, left side, vertical wrap route, inside, and which is the India, outside, which is the India. Um, he's going one, two, three, working through reads. He's working through reads on other plays in that game. So even in the games where he struggles, supposedly, he's doing the things that people think he can't do or that he struggles to do it. And so, look, we talked earlier in the show, Pat, about uh, Paul, about how Look, these guys are all four of them. They're great, and that's fine. You can stack them any order. That's fine. But if I'm in a quarterback room, if I'm in a draft war room, and we're on the clock and Justin Fields is available, if we need a quarterback, if we don't need a quarterback, I am screaming the entire time we are on the clock for this kid. I think this kid is going to be great. And, Paul, you brought up Deshaun Watson. I get those same sort of vibes. And why? That competitive toughness angle. You can't tell me that a kid that gets basically his ribs shattered in the middle of a game that comes back and plays like that is going to shy away from anything in the NFL. Like competitive toughness, box checked. What does it remind me of? Deshaun Watson getting helicoptered by Reuben Foster on a third down in that natty and bouncing right back up. And if you're Reuben Foster, you're thinking, how do we beat this guy? Same thing. If you're that Clemson team that night, 
you see oh, Justin Fields come back, you're thinking, how do we beat this guy? And if you're Justin Fields' teammates, you're thinking, man, i got to up my game because this guy's going to put it all on the line. That matters in QB. That matters in QB. Look, I will bang the table for this kid. Uh, does he have things to clean up? Yeah. Are there questions about his offense? Sure. Are there times where he stares things down? Yeah, but I think people are making a bit much out of it. Um, look, if I'm the Jets and he's on the, if he's there, we're going quarterback. I'll take Justin Fields. Oh my God, I'm just gonna let this wash over me like a warm <laughs> rain. I'm just gonna let it wash over me. You know what though, Mark? I mean, like again, going back to their high school days, these were the guys coming out. These they were, were one the, and two. Yeah, or they were a, one and two. B, like whatever you wanted to say it. And and, yeah. and I had a and I had a you know I had a you know kind of a you know kind of a, a little bit more of a, a Justin Fields vibe coming out of high school. He was the guy that I was really more interested in. I thought it was going to be a guy that I thought really had the tools to translate to the next level. And you know what? His college program, I mean, we, we want to talk about all those those kind of leadership skills and those non-discriminate traits. Tell me, the, the guy goes from one program to another program, competes, gets injured, competes again, you know, gets on the big stage, performs on the big stage, goes up against his arch rival, so to speak, who... I can't wait to see them playing then at the next level against each other. I mean, what else does uh, what else do we need to see from a player in terms of those kind of you know non qualifiable quantifiable elements to start believing that you know those kind of traits are there, so to speak, that we can depend upon him with the ball in his hands, the game on the line on Sundays. I, I don't I don't really feel like there's any reason to think that we can't. I, I really don't, and I know he hangs on reads. We know that I, I've seen him do it. You know, I, I get it. But, you know, in the same respect, though, he also throws balls on out routes that I've never seen anybody throw. So, I mean, it, it, what else do you want from the young man? I mean, like, I, I honestly believe to your point, And this is something that Paul and I have been pounding the table on one A, one B. I, I don't care how you stack it. I, I still think it's them in the field, in my opinion. And I know that's not the popular thing. He seems to be, though, the ire of everybody's kind of quarterback controversy. Like, <laughs> let's talk about Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, but Justin Fields, nah, let's, you should pass on him. Pass yeah. on him. Yeah. I don't, nah, I don't know I mean, why he's getting that. I don't know why either. I just know that there are people beyond the three of us, Seth Galita, Benjamin Solak, or two others that I talk to about Fields all the time that are going to be bad at the table for this kid too. Um, you know, I, I, I look at the competitive toughness angle. I look at the athleticism. I look at the arm talent. And a lot of people are saying, look, Zach Wilson, he's got this incredible arm. And it's good. It's good. I wouldn't say it's the best of the four. I wouldn't say it's second. I wouldn't say it's third. Like, Trey Lance has a kid in kids. And so, look, um, I'm, I am I really like this kid. Um, I've liked him for – you know, I was a bit more down on him last summer for some of the reasons we talked about. Um, again, did a show with with Waldman about him, and we both said, look, there's something here. We'd love to see him go back, have another year at Ohio State, answer some of these questions that we have, and we'll feel a lot better. And in my mind, he answered all of those questions and then some. And so all the concerns I had about Fields, which I do think were valid at that time, they're erased for me. And if people still have those concerns, I would say, look, throw on the games you think he actually struggled and really watch them and see what he was asked to do. 
pull up the Ohio State playbook. It's floating around there. You can see what he's asked to do on some of these plays, and he's making re- progression reads. Like, is it like the you know New England Patriots like five progression read system deep on a given play? No, not too many college quarterbacks are doing that, and so. I'm very okay with him where he is mentally. Is there room to grow? Yeah. Does he need to season and develop a little bit? Yeah. But do I think he could be a star in the NFL? Absolutely. Yeah, and you brought it before. I think the Jets and the Falcons are going to rue a day that they pass on this kid. And it sounds like the way Atlanta moved some money with Mark, uh, with Mark with Matt Ryan that – I'm not sure they're going the quarterback route and I don't know when they're going to be that high again. And, yeah. you know, fields fields, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't he, that's his, isn't he a, like an Atlanta kid? Like, didn't he grow up down there? Yeah. Like you're talking about, you could have, you could keep the local kid in his, in his area. And then even if he didn't start immediately, even if he didn't, and look at, listen, you can move any contract. We just saw that. If, if there yeah. was any, ever an off season to let us know that any court, any contract could be moved. And listen, there are plenty of people that would find a way to make Matt Ryan fit under their salary cap. If he was available in the trade. I mean, Matt Stafford just got traded for a really handsome price. There would be teams that were left out in the cold in the quarterback market that would that would trade for Matt Ryan if he became available, or you know Fields maybe sits a year or half a year or something like that to see if they had a Falcon start. I think there'd be a mistake for them and the Jets. The Jets are going to be the one. And listen, I don't mind watching Jets, you know, be in misery here as a Giants fan in New York, but this just they're gonna this just is setting up for them to take Zach Wilson. And and pass on Justin Fields, and then all this excitement about Zach Wilson this year proves to be, eh, he's good, he's okay. While Justin Fields goes on to maybe be elite, and right. I just, you know, you, I remember watching that game, the the Clemson game, and I think it was Ian Rappaport or somebody said, you know, maybe it won't be so bad for Jets fans, right? And they had a picture. I remember, you know, Adam Schefter tweeted and stuff, and it was Justin Fields in the in the Jets jersey, and that was right after they had lost, they had won a game, so they knew they were out on probably Trevor Lawrence. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, it stinks that they don't get Trevor Lawrence, but you know what? Justin Fields is a pretty exactly. damn good consolation prize. Yeah, and and now it's like. What's crazy is you talked about some people who are high on Justin Fields. What's crazy is there's a really a lot of really good people who I respect their opinion a ton, starting with Daniel Jeremiah and, and working down to other really good people. And there's a bunch of people that just don't see it the same way the three of us are talking right here. Like there's some people that have him closer to four in the in the in the draft rankings than two and close to Trevor Lawrence. You know, like we said, we think he's closer to Lawrence and everybody else is to him. So it's kind of wild. Uh I, I think just like people regretted passing on Deshaun Watson, I think the line it could potentially uh be long for teams that maybe passed on this kid. So Yeah, I mean I did my sort of what I would do mock. It just came out today over a touchdown wire. And my pick at two was Fields for the Jets, and my pick at four for Atlanta was Trey Lance. Like, I, I think if I'm in the room and I'm Atlanta, I know you just you know restructured Matt Ryan, but when you get a chance to pick at four, I think you pick a quarterback because you don't want to be back picking at four again, and you don't want to be chasing the quarterback ghost. And so I, I would do that, but that's just me. And this class is leaps and bounds, I think, better than what we're going to see 
yeah. next year and yeah. moving forward. If, you know, NFL teams take the NFL teams have enough people working for them that they take a peek down the line. They know what's coming up. We've known for a while this class was going to have Lawrence and Fields. Didn't disappoint. I mean, Zach Wilson was kind of like a, a, a jump in, you know, into this. This we knew we were talking about. People were starting to talk about Trey Lance from last year, so we knew he was going to be a high level guy. So, Matt, any final thoughts on Justin Fields before I kind of want to open it up now? Those other two big guys, Mark, and kind of hear you talk a little bit about Trey Lance and a little bit about Zach Wilson. You know, one guy who didn't play this year, basically one guy who catapulted his stock up. But Matt, any final thoughts on Justin Fields? Yeah, just one more closing thought for Mark and just one question for him. So, I mean, in terms of in terms of the types of scheme fits that you think Justin Fields could kind of live in. Um, do you feel the versatility is similar to that of, of Trevor Lawrence, or do you think that there's a little bit better of a fit for him than, let's say, Trevor Lawrence? Because I agree with you. Trevor Lawrence is certainly, I think, very scheme independent. I think he can live and breathe in any type of environment. Um, I, I'm a little bit more hesitant with Fields, um, but I don't know if that's just a matter of his current development as opposed to where he will be, where he won't be. But I'm just curious if you have you know, sort of a feel for where you would like to see him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's potentially schematically diverse. Um, I, I think, you know, he could run almost any offense, but I don't think the learning curve would be as flat as it would be, say, for, for uh, Trevor Lawrence. I think Lawrence can step in and run anything. I, I think with Fields, I would like to see him in something similar to what the Chargers did this past season with Justin Herbert. A lot of play action stuff, a lot of vertical shot plays off of that. Let him sort of throw against leverage, use that arm talent. Um, I, I think that would be a great sort of environment for him. The reason why I like him uh, it, with the Jets is I think in that sort of Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur, outside zone, boot action, get him on the move, cater to his athleticism. I think that would be a great way to sort of ease his development and transition into the league. Like, look, you're going to be reading half the field on most of the most of your downs. You're going to be outside the pocket on the move, using your athleticism with the option to sort of tuck it and go if you want to. That's a way to sort of ease his transition. You know, I think if you're going to drop him into a more traditional West Coast offense – that's a lot of quick throws, quick reads, quick decisions. Like that's going to be a bit more of a struggle. I think you could do it. Uh, but when you look at the things that, you know, if you want to take the criticism about him and progressions and quick decisions and process and speed, which I think we've talked about, I'm, I'm not really there, but it's an area he could get a little bit better at. That might be a tougher transition for him, but I think he could do it. You know, so I, I do think that Lawrence is obviously more schematically diverse. Um, I, I think there are systems where fields will be great. And there are systems where fields might need a little bit more time to figure it out. All right. Well, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, what what about Trey Lance and what about Zach Wilson? What What's the kind of feel for those guys? I mean, those guys, for sure, as Paul just intimated earlier, those guys have been just absolutely rising like flames up the actual like, you know, up the actual board. I mean, just out right. of curiosity, where do you sit on these guys? I mean, I, I, I do think that Zach Wilson is a very intriguing fascinating quarterback prospect who will go in the top, say, five to six picks and should. I, I think the talent is there. Um, some of the throws that he makes are very impressive. His, uh, I, I did a show with uh, Jordan Reed, and he talked about his arm aggression. And I thought that was such a fantastic term for it because, you know, we've talked before, on, you know, when I've come on with you guys about how you can't play the position scared. You have to be willing to challenge windows, to take some risks with the football, because if you're not willing to do that on a Saturday, you're not going to do it on a Sunday. Uh, 
Zach Wilson has that sort of arm aggression, and I, I think that is a good thing for him. There are some throws that he made, and you know, just a couple weekends ago, I went back and we rewatched his entire 2020 season just for like the third time, and some of the throws he makes are just like, okay, this is pretty impressive. Um, two throws that stand out to me. Um, one was early against Coastal where he ran, they ran. Uh, first of all, I love when he runs pout, post out. He reads that concept so well. And that's such, if the league is trending towards playing too high, playing a lot of quarters, trying to force you to run the football, post out is such a cover four type beater concept, but it works against cover three. And that's the example from Coastal where they spin it to single high. He actually is in the pistol, fakes to the left, then spins back and throws the out route when that curl flap defender looks like he's trying to slim the fits and get into the run fit. Um, So I thought that was a very impressive throw. Um, He had a sort of half roll Mills concept where he threw the post route over the top against North Alabama where he just took a shot into double coverage because he's like, look, I can do it. And those things certainly jump out at you. The sort of hesitation I have with Wilson is there's a couple of reasons. One, I do think he needs to get better at sort of managing the pocket. I think in many instances, he's just like, look, I'm going to run. Like, I feel pressure. I perceive pressure. I'm going to run. I'd like to see him, like, click and climb the pocket. I'd like to see him just slide around in the pocket a little bit more. Because, look, we've all seen quarterbacks that can do it on Saturday. But when you're doing it on Sunday, you've got Khalil Mack or Vaughn Miller or, you know, any one of these edge guys that are coming out this year. Joseph Osai is going to run you down. Like, let's face it, he's going to run you down on some days when you try that. So, you know, I'd like to see him get better at sort of managing the pocket. I'd like to see him get better at those moments when you've got a concept and it's clearly not open. Come off of it faster. He had, I guess, I think it was either, it was the Boise State game where he had under slot fade. It was covered early in the down. He should have come off it. He hung on it way too long. He missed the backside post, which would have been open for a walk-in touchdown. And he ends up taking a sack. Like, I'd like to see him get through those concepts faster. A lot of the criticism that people are putting on fields, you can see the same stuff from Wilson. And so those are areas where, like, concretely, I think you could get better at. There's also the scheme fit question with him. And I've done some work on this. Benjamin Solak's done some work on it. You know, a lot of people pair him with the Jets because he's been in that outside zone, play action, boot action type of offense. That's a lot of what BYU does. And he's been okay with it, but not great. And if you're projecting him to come from this offense and go into an offense that's very similar, that we know is sort of propped up quarterbacks, and he's already kind of just like okay with it, I'm not sure that tells you how good of a prospect he really is. It might raise some questions about how good of a prospect he really is. And and the other thing with Wilson is this. Um, I do think – and I know Matt Waldman has talked about it on his show, and Matt and I have talked about this just offline. A lot of the hype and buzz and excitement about Wilson is maybe, I don't want, maybe overreaction or overcorrection is the right phrase to Patrick Mahomes' evaluation. Because I think a lot of people are trying to say, oh, Wilson, he can definitely do it. Like, you know, wildly overcorrect their own process with what they didn't see in Mahomes. They're two different quarterbacks. They're two wildly different quarterbacks. Like there's an understanding of leverage, of coverage, of situation, of arm talent that was present in Mahomes that is still developing with Wilson. It's not quite there yet. And they have wildly different arms, like wildly different arms. Like Patrick Mahomes was an alien coming out of Texas Tech. Wilson has a good arm, but I think Matt 
before you hopped on, Paul and I were saying it might be the fourth best of these four guys. Well, right? I was just about to say to you, I think Justin Fields lives on the same galaxy as Patrick Mahomes more than Zach. In Wilson terms of was. arm talent, I yeah. mean, it's, it's Lawrence. I mean, you you could stack those three: Lawrence Fields, Lance, and whatever order you want. But those three yeah. of those guys, it's like easy velocity arm talent just explodes out of their hands. When you watch Wilson, can he make some impressive throws? Yeah, but he's crow hopping one or two or three steps into them, and that's okay. Like it's not a bad thing. But if you're going to like try to sell me on this guy's like the next Mahomes, we're seeing two different things here. Like, can he be a great NFL quarterback? I, I think so. Like, is are there things about him that are exciting? Absolutely. Is Are there highlight reel throws? For sure. Does he model his game after Mahomes? I think he does. But I'm just not there with him the way I was with Mahomes coming out and the way I am with these other two guys that we've already talked about. Yeah, I'm going to jump in there. And I think what you just said was, was spot on. I think people have gravitated towards that comparison that got thrown out there for some of the things he does in terms of like the sidearm releases and thrown from, you know, multiple arm angles. And yeah, okay, that stuff has is reminiscent, but that's just one small, tiny little component. And people are taking that and extrapolating it to saying, oh, he's very similar. I, when I, when I watched him early in the year, I walked away thinking he was a late first, early second round when I watched his like first four or five games. And then it really started to, the, the crescendo really started to build. So I was like, all right, I got to go back and watch a lot more games. And I watched every other game the rest of the year and did, and, and, and said, okay, I'm going to do a deep dive. We did a deep dive here. And I came away saying, okay, I think I underestimated. I thought when I first watched him, I thought his arm talent was above average. And I watched him again. And I said, okay, it's better than above average, but I still think it's in the good to very good. It's not in the great. It's not in the elite. It's not in the rare. He, he, there's times he, he leads his receivers into trouble. It was a little concerning here or there. I think he's a good prospect. I think he warrants going in the top 10. I, I like him as a prospect. I just think part of me feels like I'm always knocking him because I'm trying to push back against him being ahead of Justin Fields. I comped him to, I think, I don't think he's Mahomes in any way, shape, or form. I see some glimpses of Tony Romo in some of the stuff that he did. That's that's the and listen, if he becomes Tony Romo, it's a great, fantastic pick. Even if the Jets take him at two, right? Tony Romo is a really underappreciated, very good quarterback that just yeah. never, you know, made it to the Super Bowl. But there, there's stuff about it that I think that people are just kind of like bypassing, like the level of competition for some reason, this is not ever being talked about on enough of him. It's kind of like this being completely, completely sidestepped when it comes to him, but then it's brought up with other people on a regular basis. It's it's funny, Paul, I did a video on sort of process versus results of this outside zone scheme fit and things like that. And the main argument I was saying was like, he's forcing a lot of these throws and coverage like that North Alabama throw. He's got the dig. It's wide open in the middle of the field, but he's, he's not making those throws. And it's like, what's more sustainable in the NFL throwing the wide open dig route or the double covered post route. Like, yeah, it worked against North Alabama. I had somebody push back on that saying, well, you know, the level of competition was such that he could take those risks. And it's like, you're going to use the level of competition argument as a plus for Zach Wilson, like that's that's an interesting argument. Let's flush that one out a little bit. Um, you know, I know the thing that you watch those games, you watch like Coastal, you watch the bowl game. His receivers were making some great plays for him. Like a lot of these like splash throws, you've got receivers laying out for the ball. You've got receivers bailing them out. 
Um, you know, I he's good. He's good. And he sh- he'll go in the top five. And, you know, he probably should go in the top five, given how the quarterback position is valued. But he's my QB three for a reason. Yeah. And let, let's spin this to Trey Lance because he's like the man of mystery, right? He didn't, he barely played this year. It was one game. It wasn't really that impressive. He shut it down, you know? So like we're going off what we saw last year. When I watched him in the summer, it's hard not to come away impressed, but there's also things that you, you got questions on. There were games that a lot of times he threw 15, 20 times in a game, right? You know, like, so there, there are things, but if you're just basing him on traits, you already talked about before. He's got a laser in terms of his arm talent. Yeah. His his athleticism is through the roof. You know, so there's so much to like about his game, his, his movement ability and all that stuff. How hard of an eval do you find him because of the limited film, because of not playing this year, because the level of competition, and then even the film that we do have, you know, how, how much of it is NFL problems that he's faced with? You know, he's tough. He's very tough. Listen, I, I, we like Josh Allen here, and I really like Josh Allen. And it was hard to get a, re, a, a good read on him with Wyoming film. This is, on, this is even more challenging, I think, especially without this year. So how hard is it with Trey Lance? And for you, is there a big gap from Wilson to him? Or, you know, I know you said before you did a what would you do mock. I don't know. You know, you mentioned where you had Trey Lance going. Did you have him going ahead of uh, yeah. ahead of that and is that just something that you did for that mock or is that something that you would strongly consider if it was you literally picking based on talent for a team it's something that i did for that mock and it's something that i would consider if i'm atlanta at four and i have the opportunity to draft somebody and let him learn behind matt ryan um i would certainly jump at that um i had i think wilson came off the board at six with the panthers traded up with philadelphia so he was the fourth quarterback off the board lance is a Lance is a tough eval because a lot of it is projection. A lot of it is projection. Um, the raw taints, traits, taint, traits, the talent, like it's there. Um, the arm talent, the athleticism, the Steve McNair comparisons, the Dak Prescott comparisons, like it's all valid. The arm talent is easy. I do think what's interesting in terms of, you know, the reason why Lance's QB4 for me in large part is there's a wider spectrum of potential outcomes and some more negative potential outcomes with him as opposed to the first three guys. Like if you take like the median potential outcome for each of these guys, like Wilson, I think could end up like a Baker Mayfield where he's in that outside zone boot action offense. And he's sort of the guy that you win games with and maybe pops here and there, but the median outcome I think for a Trey Lance might not get you there. Um, so the, there's a bigger range of uh, potential outcomes, but there's a couple of offenses where I think he could walk in week one and start right away. Cause I think he'd be ready. I look at what Kyle Shanahan does in San Francisco. I think you could walk in right now and run that offense. And I thought that last summer, and then you see what his quarterbacks coach, Randy Hedberg said about him at the pro day when he's talking about, look, He's he handles protections. He makes kill calls at the line of scrimmage. Like he's got check responsibilities at the line of scrimmage. He's running a West Coast offense with West Coast verbiage. He's not and Randy said it in, in the meeting with the media, he's not looking at a cue card on the sideline to get pitcher play calls. Like he's making an NFL play call and you know, if you want, you could find the videos of Kyle Shanahan's play calls or John Gruden's play calls with Chris Sims struggling to remember him. It's tough. It's not easy. 
And so his background at doing that is going to be easy for him to step into that offense. The other thing I would strongly recommend if you've got some time and you're willing to spend some money, go to Coach Tube. You can find some install videos of NDSU's offense, their play-action game, their throw-into-the-fullback offense, their throw-into-the-tight-ends offense, and you will see their offensive coordinator walk you through what Trey Lance is asked to do on given plays. And so a lot of it you can just sort of, you know, try to like if you're pretend to be colorblind and you'll be watching Kyle Shanahan's offense. You'll be watching Trey Lance throw to the fullback immediately in the down because the fullback is there. You take it. That's what he's coached to do. And so I think there's offenses where Trey Lance could run them coming out. The question is, will he be able to solve all of the puzzles that an NFL defense is going to put in front of him? And that's a tougher one Uh, because when you watch that Central Arkansas game, you see a lot in terms of coverage rotations. They threw some different looks at him. They really sort of confused him at times. You watch that interception. He'll tell you, I just missed it. I didn't see the safety. Like that's stuff that he's going to have to clean up. And so he might need a lot of training wheels early, especially if he's going to play early. The talent is certainly there, but more so than the other three guys, he needs that sort of developmental path and structure around him. Like I think you've got to have a clear plan. And if you're a fan of a team that drafts straight Lance, I think you want to be excited, but you want to hope that he's going to a place that has a track record of quarterback development. I think if you're like, say a bears fan and somehow Trey Lance falls to 20, I mean, I'd feel for you there because there's no record of quarterback development, but if he goes to a place that has done it, a a place that has shown it, like if he goes to Atlanta with Arthur Smith, who obviously resurrected Ryan Tannehill's career, I think if he gets to Carolina, Joe Brady has shown you what he can do for a quarterback I think those would be great landing spots. Um, but I do think he's a bit more sort of landing spot dependent than the other guys. Well, you know, I mean, just, I mean, so many good things to tease out there, but I, there were a couple of things that I think that you said that I really, really appreciate. I mean, the first being the fact that you talk about the checks at the line of scrimmage, when you look at those things, um, you know, r- right now, you know, that's one of the things that I, you know, in my off season kind of uh, professional development, so to speak, it's one of the things that I'm really concentrating on is, you know, kind of beginning to decipher, decode, and better understand a lot of those things that are occurring at the line of scrimmage with regards to checks and and rechecks and declarations and slides and half slides and mans and things of that nature. And I, I, I got to tell you something, it is an immense responsibility on a quarterback to be able to handle those things. I don't care what level you're talking about. So to be able to take that and to compound the situation, like you said, with the West Coast verbiage, I, I think you're talking about a monumental load on the cognitive frame of the actual, you know, the player that I, I, I it can't be overstated. So, I mean, I, I do think that's going to make him, like you said, more amenable to, to certain teams and certain offenses. And I think that was just a really, really great point. So uh, let yeah, me go just ahead. sort of read Randy's answer because I, I think it's important to sort of drill down on this because he was asked, you know, there's talk about how much he's getting at the line of scrimmage. I think this was Doug Farrar asking it kind of because I had told Doug to ask it. Um, <laughs> how much did you put on him from a processing standpoint? Is that more or less different than it was for Carson Wentz and Easton Stick? Here's the answer. No, it's the same that we had for Carson and Easton. 
Our offense puts a lot of emphasis on the quarterback processing at the line of scrimmage with protections. They have an option to set the protection more often than not. And then they have the option of changing protections. But they also we have a kill system and a maybe system, which gets them into run versus pass, pass to run, run to pass, whatever it is based on different alignments of the defense. So that's part of our game, which I think the quarterbacks are really good at, but it's no different. We did it with Easton, and we did the same with Carson. That's stuff that the other guys aren't doing. Now, can Justin Fields do that? Can you know Trevor Lawrence do that? Can Zach Wilson do that? Sure. Have they done it? I'm not sure they did it to this level. And again, it's FCS. It's against you know the butlers of the world, but it's still a piece to the puzzle, and it's an important one. You know, when you're asking what are quarterbacks going to be asked to do at the line of scrimmage, he's done it. Well, that's that's the form of life, right? We talk about the form of life, the the ecosystem the quarterback lives in. That is a very big part of the form of life that they live in at the NFL level. And to think that it's not would be would be a, a really an oversight. But I do think that I wonder if he's how much of that does he need to do at that level too? You know, I, I wonder how much he's changing it. Now he may be changing it often. He may not be. I mean, I, I just redeclaring the actual line of scrimmage. That's a very, that's a very coordinated process between you and the offensive line. Mark, I know you could speak to this probably intimately to redeclare. Everything is, is a really challenging kind of thing to get in sync with, with your O line. So, I mean, not to get too kind of nerdy on this in terms of the football X's and O's, but it is still, regardless of how often or not, you're talking about an amazing amount of a cognitive load that that quarterback is dealing with. Uh, another system. another answer from Randy that I thought was fascinating because he was asked about, um, you know, some big moments that he, Randy, thought, well, man, this kid's going to be special. And he talked about that game against Butler. You probably remember the early touchdown pass, but you might remember Lance had a 50-yard touchdown run. That was a check that Lance made at the line of scrimmage because they were going to bring pressure. So he checked into a run in his first college start to get them that touchdown. Like that tells you what this kid can do. And it's one thing if like you're doing it at the end of the season, like this is his first start. Not only did he do it, but I think this is more important. And people that have played sports might get this. He had the freedom to do it in his first game. Like I remember my first high school start. I made a check in the red zone. I we had we had double fades called. I didn't like the look. I wanted to throw post routes against cover cover three. What do you think happened? It got picked by the free safety. Read my eyes. The the audible wristband that I was wearing that game it was gone for week two. That freedom to make those checks was taken away from me. Lance had it in his first college start, and it didn't get taken away from him because he knew what he was doing. Again, I think the fact that he had that freedom is huge for what his coaches thought about him. Yeah, I think he's I think he's the most intriguing of the four guys. I mean, not that doesn't mean he's going to be the most talented, the best, but I think he's the most intriguing. Like I keep looking at Carolina there with Matt Rule. I think that's the spot that would be perfect for him yeah. to kind of develop there. And then here's the other one, and I'm going to use this as a springboard to the next guy, uh Mark. Look what the Patriots have done this week. They bring back Cam Newton. If there was ever a time for Belichick to go get his quarterback, they kind of have Cam in the building to be the guy for the start of the year. They've created this offense with a mobile piece to it, a runner component to it. And now all you hear, 
I think the whole New England Mac Jones is a little bit of a smokescreen. You're probably got a closer read on that. So I'm interested to hear you. I personally don't see Mac Jones as a round one guy. I, I agree with what you said to start the show. I think he's going to go round one. I think 15 would be lunacy for the Patriots. Maybe Belichick's playing this close to the vest. Maybe he wants the, the people to think that he wants – uh, him to go, you know, to be the guy. But I think it might be, what do you think about potentially Trey Lance, New England? And do you buy the Mac Jones hype there and your thoughts on Mac Jones? Guys, I will be insufferable if Trey Lance somehow gets to New England. I will I will be insufferable. Um, I, I think that if this is the year to go and get a guy, I think Trey Lance would be perfect because you wouldn't have to play him right away um, because you will have Cam in the building. Um, and I think, look, I, I think New England has put themselves back into a position where they have different pathways and options. I think when you finish 9-7 and seven and you look at that roster back in, say, January, they didn't have many options to figure things out. But with the moves that they've made, and yes, they've spent some money, you know, it's a bit sort of outside the norm for them. Now they're in a position where you can see Cam Newton having some success with this talent around him. Will it be 2015, Cam? No, I think that guy's gone. Will it be 2017? Maybe, but you might not even get there. But he should be better than last year. You know, and and this was a team last year. Let's not forget, he signed late covid Misses a game because of COVID, and he's told us, look, I wasn't right for a couple of weeks coming back from that. And they still went 7-9 to nine with a first-place schedule, with a schedule that I told everybody preseason, look, Belichick could do the best job of his life and be in the running for coach of the year, and this team could go 7-9 and nine because this is an extremely tough schedule. They got 7-9. and nine. Now you've got talent around them. You can see them running 12 personnel. You can see them running 13 personnel, just running 19 and 18 power, just saying forget it. We'll be a, a wing T team, and we'll win 10 games doing it. But then if you've got Trey Lance waiting in the wings, if you've got the opportunity to go get that kid and season him behind Cam, Maybe he doesn't have to play right away. Maybe you have a couple of packages for him. You know, let him get a drive or two a game. I mean, they're setting themselves up for something big down the road. I would absolutely love it. As as, as far as the Mac Jones stuff, though, I, I do think people are drawing the parallels, the connections between Saban and Belichick, right? And people are looking at Matt Jones and they're thinking, if he's got a a pathway to being an, a good to great NFL quarterback. While the league is trending towards the Mahomes and the Watsons and these four guys with their athleticism, the throwback guy, you're going to have to model your game after Tom Brady, right? You're going to have to rely on footwork and process it and feel. And people are just putting all the dots together and thinking, oh, well, New England, Mac Jones, right? It makes a ton of sense. Um, I think the Patriots' offenses of the past would probably make sense for that if this were – 2012, 2013, if this were the Garoppolo class, it wouldn't stun me at all when they drafted Garoppolo. If Matt Jones was there, they would have drafted him. But I think their offense is moving in a different direction where I think Trey Lance and these guys might make more sense for where they're going. Now, with the talent that's there, could you see Matt Jones somehow, if he's there at 15, them picking him and putting him in a position where 
we're going to have Trent Brown in front of you. We're going to have Isaiah Wynn and Michael Wendu in front of you. And we're going to make sure you're protected. We've got playmakers now around you where we'll run 12 personnel with some wide ISO looks where you've got Hunter Henry flexed out single side and the defense is declaring priest. Now we're in man, we're in zone, we're in this, we're in that. And you're just going to have to catch and throw and be a point guard. Could that work? Could they be doing that? Like, sure. I think it could work. And I, I think you look at, you know, what they've sort of, put in place are some of the things that you need to do for Mac Jones. Jordan Reed and I, when we did, I was on his show and he, we were talking about Mac Jones and Jordan had such a great way of framing it. He said, you need the three P's around Mac Jones, protection, playmakers, and playbook. You need to get those right for him. And I think the Patriots have kind of done with the protection. They've kind of done the playmaker stuff for him. So if Jones is the guy, will I be elated? No. Will I be running out to NFL.com to buy a Jones jersey? No. I'll be doing that for Lance if it happens. Um, but do I think it could work? Yeah, I think it could work. I, I'm i with you guys. Like, I think Jones is a round two grade that's going to go in the top 15 because he's a quarterback. Um, and he's sort of the kind of guy that I always caution people, the people that make in that are making these decisions have bills to pay. They have mortgages, they have homes, they have kids to put through college. They don't want to get fired. And if you're staring at a draft board and you need to draft a quarterback and the clock is ticking and you've got the FCS kid with 17 games and the Alabama kid with 17 games, if you draft one of them and it goes wrong, which one are you getting another job or which one are you, you know, out of the league and you're taking my job? You know, that's the risk averse floor versus ceiling argument that has people thinking Mac Jones might go early because, you know, you might worry about the Zach Wilson floor or the Trey Lance floor. The Mac Jones floor is probably like Kirk Cousins 2.0 guy you win games with. The ceiling might be Kirk Cousins 2.5 guy that might win you a game or two here or there, but it's not going much beyond that. And so I think that's why people are looking at Jones and thinking, okay, well, I can do this because it's not going to get me fired and he can win us some games and we can build around him, coach him up by this, all that stuff. Matt, any thoughts on Mac Jones? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think everything that Mark just kind of went through really kind of puts a nice kind of bow tie on everything. I mean, uh, Trey Lance and, and Mac Jones for me, like you said, I mean, for me it's Trey Lance first and then it's Mac Jones. I mean, I, I never really kind of – I never really kind of felt that Mac Jones was in that kind of discussion for those top four. And that's not to denigrate what he could be at the next level. I think the Kirk Cousins analogy is wonderful. And you know what? Those are serviceable quarterbacks. Like yeah. you said, those are, yeah, those are Kirk guys. Cousins that, is a fine NFL yeah. quarterback. Like you can yeah. win a playoff game with him. Like, sure. Exactly. And I, and I think, I think, listen, I think we all go into the draft and I think this is not only just us here as fans and as analysts and, and as people who admire the game for what it is in every aspect. But I also think that you're talking about the top level. Everybody's looking for that gem. Everybody is. Everybody thinks that next pick is the one. And at least I hope they do, because that's that's what you're trying to accomplish in the draft. You know, we could say you're filling holes, but don't tell me that when you're writing up that scouting eval and you're putting your finger down saying this is my guy that you're not hoping it's a gem. So, I mean, you know, I mean, like that's that is part of the discussion all, you know, all to itself. Mark, I'm just curious, just kind of a similar question before we round out this discussion and go into a, a couple more players is when it comes to Mac Jones and it comes to Trey Lance in terms of that. In terms of that scheme fit, and you kind of alluded to it with Mac Jones, but with Trey Lance, we kind of talked about it as well. 
do you think do you think that um do you think that there are teams that are just bad fits for these guys that are that could be possibly like you would just be like, you know what? Like if the Bears, we know they're going to be quarterback hungry. Do any of these guys particularly fit that situation? We know that there are going to be other teams that are going to be going after them. Is there is there anybody? I mean, we always talk about the best fits, but do you think there's any fits that you just might say is I would steer clear if you if you're this team and you're looking at quarterback, these are not the guys for you. I mean, I would be surprised if Bruce Arians has Mac Jones on his quarterback board. Like, I, I don't see Mac Jones in a Bruce Arians, like, downfield vertical passing game. Like, I, I think, you know, more sort of spread out. I mean, even to that extent, like, you look at, you know, and, and I know that what they've done has been somewhat – they've made it work with Kirk Cousins, like, you know, the San Francisco tree, the outside zone boot action. Um, I think Jones could do it. You know, they taught Matt Ryan how to run boot. They did it with Kirk Cousins. Um, and I think the fit could work, but I'm, I'm not sold that it would be like, I don't know. I don't think the jets are drafting, you know, Mac Jones, um, you know, even if they wait until the pick of 23, um, as far as Trey Lance, you know, I, I think, I think conceptually the sort of Chicago fit would kind of work um, because it's West Coast. um, The verbiage would make sense. Um, The arm talent is such that if he was late on a read, the arm talent should make up for it. Like you look at the struggles that Trubisky had in that sort of Matt Nagy air raid system, West Coast system that's so predicated on time and rhythm. When Allen Robinson runs a curl route 12 back to eight, and he's got three yards of separation off the cut into the break. The ball better be there. But yeah. Trubisky, it wasn't. Like that three yards of separation became half a yard by the time it got there because Trubisky, after three and a half years, couldn't figure out how to read mirrored curl flat. Like that's a problem. Um, with Lance, the velocity is such that if he's late as, as late as Trubisky was, the ball still get there with enough time to like catch and turn and turn that eight-yard curl into a 12-yard gain instead of the – 8.1 yard gain it was with Trubisky. So I think it could work. Um, you know, I don't think Baltimore would like Mac Jones. I don't think that would be a good situation for him. Um, offenses with, with, that could not work with Trey Lance. I think Lance is somewhat schematically diverse. Um, but, you know, the more I think Lance is more schematically diverse. I don't think there's really a bad spot for him. I think it's more a learning curve situation. I do think that there are some like potentially bad spots for Jones. And I think there might be some teams that will have, you know, and again, this is just my opinion, but they might have other guys on their board before they get to Mac Jones. Gotcha. So Mark, we've been, we've got an hour already. So let's do a little rapid fire here to, to round out this episode. We talked about the first five guys, and it sounds like top four, you you believe they all warrant early consideration. Top 10, Mac Jones, we've already talked about. You see him as more of a day two guy, but who's going to go round one? So let's first ask this and open it up. Is there anybody else you would feel comfortable taking on day two, and you could envision that them that they become a starter that you would feel comfortable about comfortable picking and thinking they could be a starter? Is there anyone in that range that we have that – that, that we haven't talked about who you think could be a day two guy that you would think could materialize into a starter, or do you think everybody else is developmental day three? 
this is such a tough question for me, guys. It cuts to my core because you guys know me, right? I'm usually the guy that comes on and says, yeah, yeah, these guys at the top are good, but let me tell you about Brett Rippin. Brett Rippin is fantastic, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that, 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 was me, that was me, right? Do you know that yeah, was what I was me. thinking about when I was getting on the show tonight? I was like, he's yeah. going to talk about Brett Rippin tonight. Yeah, that was me. I had Brett Rippin as QB4, and I – I'm usually the guy that will come on and say, look, you know, let me tell you about this guy from like Western Southeast state. Um, that's going to go out and go seven of 19 in the hall of fame game with a pick and like never be heard from again. So usually I'm the guy that's like, look, there are some day three guys. I'm more than like, these are, this is a, there's a drop off. Like it's, it's the top five. And then you might see two rounds go by before a quarterback comes off the board. I do think it sort of drops off. Now, remember, it always takes – it all just only takes one. Um, heard a lot of Kellen Mond buzz. Um, in recent days, Davis Mills – today was seemingly Davis Mills' day on the timeline. And I do think that, you know, if I'm going to sort of throw that dart end of day two, early day three, throw that dart at the dartboard, like I would I would throw it in the sort of Davis Mills direction. Um, I watch – you know, you watch that UCLA game. And you see him just getting knocked around. Like he was getting the crap kicked out of him. Like early second half, throwing some bad interceptions. And you're thinking this kid's going to fold. Like he's going to fold his chips. He's going to fold up the tent to go home. And he doesn't. He doesn't quit in that game. And they win that game in overtime. And, you know, I, I watched that. And I had the flashback to when I was watching Dak his junior year lose that game to Alabama. Um, when Mississippi State was like high, it was a huge game that year, and Dak was getting beat up, but he kept fighting. And now, look, I wildly missed on Dak. Like he was like wasn't even in my top ten that year. Um, but when I went back and sort of redid my eval on him, I had in my notes competitive toughness. Um, I just didn't weigh it properly. I didn't give it enough credit. And so the next cycle, Watson was QB one for that competitive toughness reason. And I I do see that with Mills, and so I, I think there is something there with him. Um, I understand why there's been the Kellen Mond buzz. He makes some jaw-dropping throws, but both good and bad. Like, like he's very sort of high variance. Um, so you're going to need a developmental path for him. Um, but I do think there's something there. You know, another guy that I will mention is Jamie Newman. I, I, he intrigues me. He intrigues what, me, Mark. What intrigues me so much is that Wake Forest offense, and I, I've told some other people this, I don't know how an offense can be both at the, at the same time so quarterback friendly and so quarterback unfriendly. <laughs> but that's what that Wake Forest offense was because you've got these those RPO concepts, but he's not seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. He's walking towards the line of scrimmage and then being asked to pull and throw the five-yard glance, the seven-yard, the seven-step post route that it's easy to do when you're five yards deep. But when you're at the line of scrimmage and the bodies are all right around you and there's trash at your feet, that's a lot tougher to do. And so they were trying to give him easy reads and throws, but it wasn't. Um, but he does intrigue me. And I do think that, you know, he showed some things at the senior bowl, obviously with a year off, I would have loved to have seen him play for Georgia. I think it would have been, you know, fantastic to see him play in the sec. Um, but you know, you watch some of that 2019 tape, there is something there with him. And so if we're talking about, look, these guys are sort of all developmental dice rolls, dark throws, whatever you want to say, like something about me intrigues me about Newman. And then the other thing to think about, is when you think about when you get into that sort of late day two, early three range, you're thinking about as, a, as an organization, building out your team, building out your roster, getting ready 
for the season ahead. And if you see, look, the Watsons, the Mahomes, the Lamars, the Josh Allens, what kind of quarterback is going to give you that look during practice? You know, Jamie Newman's athleticism might be something that a team will look at and say, look, we can try to coach him up and develop him, you know, but he could stick as a practice squad guy and get that sort of opportunity to sort of learn and refine and improve and develop. And so that might work in his favor. Um, but yeah, you know, normally I'm like Mr. Band the Table for the Brett Rippins of the world. This year, it's there is that sort of drop off after Jones. You know, Kyle Trask, like I, I think he's very much Kyle Trask, a pure West Coast guy, like Colt McCoy plus, like, and that could work for some teams. Um, but similar to the Mac Jones discussion, there might be some teams that look at him and say, "No, this this is not for me." And so, you know. There are some dice rolls to be sure. Um, and, you know, one of these guys will probably end up getting pit, picked in the perfect spot and season nicely. But, you know, it's it's tough to project that sitting here right now. Yeah, and I think Newman is the guy for me who really does intrigue me a lot. You know, we'll never know the the, the circumstances of, you know, each to each their own. And I don't begrudge anyone to, right. who chose to sit out this year. But I do think he had the capability of if he played and played well, I, I was saying in the, in the summer, I thought he had a legitimate chance to catapult himself into round one, into the yeah. round one mix. Yeah. I mean, listen, look, look what we just saw Zach Wilson do this year. Look what we saw Mac Jones do this year. Jamie Newman goes to Georgia and they go 10 and two or 11 and one or whatever. And, and they're battling Alabama, you know, and he plays well. Yeah. I, I, listen, who knows where he would have went? Like, you know, I, I mean, don't more. It was like the Burrow rise, right? It yeah. Was like everybody was like, okay, Burrow's gotten off to a great start. Let's see him go into Tuscaloosa. You know, after that Alabama win, that's when the sort of like hype train exploded. And if Jamie Newman does something similar, where like maybe he don't even win, but like he goes like, you know, 29 of 34 for like 325 and three touchdowns and they lose. Hype train's off the mark at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've, I've got on record here saying it, you know, and, I, and I'll bring it up. Like, if you told me my NFL t- team that I had, you know, that I was a fan of or, or I was running and I could take Mac Jones in round one or Jamie Newman in late round three, I'm taking Jamie Newman in late round three because he's got some of that that he's got that athleticism. He's got some things that you can't teach. You yep. could try to teach up the other things. You can't teach athleticism to Mac Jones. He is who he is. He's smarter. We get that right now in terms of decision-making and progression, stuff like that. But I, I tell people who might not know who Jamie Newman is, because, you know, not, I don't think a lot of people are sitting down and watching Wake Forest on a regular, you know, when he was there, you turn on some Cam Newton, Auburn film, Cam Newton, Auburn film. And then you turn on some Jamie Newman, Wake Forest film. The same things you were talking about where sometimes it looks ugly. Even in college, Cam Newton had some moments where it looked ugly. Yeah. And it kind of carried over into the NFL, right? I mean, he turned into a great player, but it, there were times that it looks good and there were times that it didn't look good. Like he, And I kind of got those vibes from Jamie Newman. I was kind of hoping to see if he developed, finished, you know, developed more this year and showed a little bit more consistency. But he's the guy that, that I'd be really intrigued to where he goes and if down the line he gets an opportunity because he's the one guy I think after that initial group that we talked about that I think has got the natural athleticism, arm talent, 
And he's the guy. He's the guy I'm interested to see where he ends up there. So, yeah, Mark, as always, an absolute blast to have you on. I I enjoy that we went deep on those big guys because I really think that's where a lot of attention is because we're talking about a a special class here, potentially four going in the top 10. And if you believe the whispers, maybe another one, you know, in the teens there with Mac Jones, you know, so – you know, it was, it was fun to break down those guys and then hear your quick thoughts on some of the, the, the developmental guys there down the stretch. Please let our audience know where they can find you on Twitter, what you're doing, what you're working on, anything you want to, you know, to kind of promote a little bit here uh, to let the audience know. Well, guys, I, as I said at the outset, it's always so much fun coming on with you guys. I can't tell you. And, and Matt, you weren't here, so I'll retell the story quickly. I've got a Slack channel for the listeners to my podcast, and I was telling Paul that I'm I'm kind of getting sick of hearing about you guys in my own Slack channel all the time because every time I log on, it's like, oh, we'll just listen to Saturday to Sunday. And Matt and Paul were talking about these guys. Like, you guys have some fans for life over in the Scotia Slack channel. They absolutely adore you guys. So um, as do I. You guys do such great work, such huge fans of what you guys do year in and year out. And, guys, if you – if I don't know why you would be listening to the show and not following Matt and Paul on Twitter. If that somehow suits you, if that's who you are, describes you, fix that. Fix that because these two guys were so great. So please do follow them. I'm such a huge fan of their work. Uh, so for me, you can follow me on the Bird app at Mark Schofield, uh, USA Today, Touchdown Wire. Um, we're getting out of free agency. We're getting into draft season. You will get Doug Ferrar and I doing our top 11 by position split out. Um, we each handle a specific position. So you'll get top 11 QBs, tight ends, wide receivers from me. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you're going to get edges, linebackers, and corners from me as well. Um, this wide receiver class is awesome. I'll just say that <laughs> this wide receiver class is awesome. Um, but you will find me on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Well, Mark, I got to tell you something, the feelings mutual and thank you so much for those kind words and those sentiments, but the feelings mutual, because I think what you bring to this, this, to this entire world of football that is so, I think so underrated, but yet now becoming so appreciated for the work that you're doing is you bring almost a storyteller vibe to the analysis that you bring. Like I'm sitting here listening to you tell the story of these different areas of these quarterbacks where you fell in love with them and how you fell in love with them. And I think that's that that just reminds us all as fans and as people is why we got into the game, what we enjoy about it. So I, I think that's such an impressive arena so to speak to live in that storyteller analyst vibe that just kind of just makes you come back more and more and it's and it's absolutely in my opinion one of the reasons why you are absolutely the man that you are and i and i appreciate everything that you guys do for us thank you so again if you are not following and checking out all of mark's work please make sure you do that uh and if you're enjoying what we're doing here at Saturday to Sunday, please get over to the website. SS Football is the easiest way to get over there. Check out the premium notebooks that we offer for $9.99. You get access to three notebooks. The Scotty Notebook has close to 100 player profiles, extremely detailed strengths, developmental areas, functional areas, NFL role, how they win, draft projection, fantasy spin, uh, continually being updated, still working on uh, – one or two profiles there, and then we'll circle back and do some updating. The rankings notebook has all our rankings, our tiers, our dynasty rankings, our, our, our I should say our dynasty rookie rankings, our draft rankings, our Devi rankings. And then in April, the draft projections notebook launches a tab for every single position, offense and defense, a snapshot of who they are as a player, and 
every and from what everything I'm hearing, projecting how I expect it to go on draft weekend from all the great sources that are out there. So it is the best way to support the show. Uh, please get over, check it out for $9.99. So on behalf of Mark, on behalf of Matt, and our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.